Please be seated. So as you heard, Pastor Donna's sick, so we're scraping the bottom of the barrel today, and you get me. Um, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, um, starting in verse 10. We're going to look at the armor of God. Uh, when I was a kid, this was probably my favorite verse or section in the Bible. Um, but honestly, it wasn't because it was like, some spiritual significance to me. It was just about like swords and armor and um, just like soldiers. And that was cool. Um, It wasn't until later on that I studied it more that I really kind of understood and and looked at the significance um, of this armor that God gives us. Um, And when I look into it more and I'll kind of walk you through this, um, we, we can easily get the idea of Oh, we have to be ar- have armor and we have to fight. We have to work hard to put this on. Um, but I don't necessarily think that that's the point. Because when I look through each of these, um, these pieces of the armor, it's not so much something we work hard to do, but it's simply putting on and resting in Jesus. Um, each of these aspects of our armor really points straight back to Jesus doing the work and not me doing it. And we'll walk through that. Um, and so what I want to encourage you is that maybe this section is just being clothed with Jesus. So let's dig into it. Uh, Ephesians chapter six, starting in verse 10, he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Um, so is it in our strength and our power? No, he says in God's power, in the, in the power of his might. And he's going to give us some weapons. So before we dig into it, let's get a, a, a broad understanding of the strength of our weapons. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians. We're actually going to flip to 2 Corinthians a few times today. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verse 4 and 5. So first thing you'd want to know is, well, are, my, are these weapons Paul's about to give me um, are they worthwhile? Are they good? Um, let's see what God has to say about it. And so Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, he says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So he says, we are not, these are not just fleshly weapons. They're not something you do out of, out of your flesh, out of your natural strength. They're mighty in God, and they're good for pulling down strongholds. Um, And so, first thing we need to understand, our our weapons don't come from our own strength. They come from the power of God. And if you think about the power of God that created the earth in six days and um, has done all these amazing things, like, that's no small power. Uh, We have no reason to fear. Um, It's God in us that gives us the power um, so we have power over the dominion, the might, and the power of the enemy. Um, and so nothing can describe the security we have in these weapons because they are powerful. So moving on to verse 11 and back in Ephesians, he says, he, give, he starts out by giving us the command, because you're being strong in the Lord and you have the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So the command is put on the whole armor of God. Does he say put on part of the armor of God? No, put it the whole part on. And as we go through, you're going to see 
they're all contingent on one another. If you take one piece of armor out, you're vulnerable. And it also causes all the rest of them to come crashing down and become worthless. So put it all on. Don't just pick and choose. We can't pick and choose from the the word of God. Um, So put it all on. And then he tells us what we're standing against. It's the wiles of the devil. Um, So the word wiles... um, it kind of means to lie in wait. Um, it gives the idea of trickery or setting a trap. Um, Satan is pretty um, mischievous. He he likes to work in deceitful ways. Just look at um, Adam and Eve. Uh, let's also, we're going to look at another verse about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. So if you want to flip back there really quick. 11... And so he's talking about false prophets here. And so chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 13. He says, For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. And so he says, you know, Satan's... Um, minions will work their way into the church and act like Christians, act good, and they'll turn themselves from something, looking something evil to something good. And he says it's no no surprise that that Satan himself can transform himself into an angel of light. And so Satan will come in and he will deceive us and we have to be ready for those um, deceitful lures he will put out there for us um, because he will try and trick us. And so we need to know our enemy, and we need to be ready for that. And one thing I, I skipped over early in, in the verse, um, he says that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So this word stand, um, if you look it up in the Strong's, um, it gives some different definitions, and it's an upright and active position. It's to abide, establish, hold up. It gives the idea of being ready, but still. So when you look through this section, he's kind of giving the idea that you're to stand and be ready. He's giving you more of a defensive warfare plan here than an offensive warfare. Um, And we're going to, later on, he's going to talk about prayer and being in communion with God so that you know what your orders are. Um, So you have to follow your orders. But he's saying right now when when you're going to be against the wiles of the devil, I just want you to stand and be ready. Be alert. Be, be ready for whatever God tells you. So, uh, moving on, he's going to kind of flesh out this, the, what the enemy is a little bit more. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. <coughs> so he says, You're... Your battle is not against flesh. It's not against the physical things. Um, I don't watch this show very often, but I was watching Dr. Phil once. Um, and they had this person on, I think they were like addicted to drugs or something along that lines. And they kept referring to it as uh, this disease you have. And yes, I don't want to discount that chemical reactions go on your brain and it causes things to happen not discounting that at all but the battle is not against those chemical reactions the battle is against sin 
this person didn't have a disease. They had a sin problem. And yes, that sin problem had physical manifestations in their brain that made it even harder to overcome. But that's not what our battle is. Our battle is against the, the spiritual forces, the things we don't see. If you read this verse, principalities, um, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness, that's a little intimidating. Um, it's scary to think about it when you really think about what's going on behind the scenes. Um, but we have to go back to that first verse. Um, in the power of his might. Remember, we're not facing um, these, these hosts of wickedness on our own. We're doing it in God's power. Um, so let's go ahead and go on from there. Uh, in verse 13, so he's, he says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Um, so he uses the word uh, withstand here instead of stand. And that's really to stand against, to oppose, resist. Um, and so when the wiles of the devil come and the, and the evil day comes, whether it's temptation or trials, persecution, whatever it may be, we're to take on the whole armor of God so that we can stand against it. That we're not just going to go with the flow or be knocked down. And why are we going to do that? Because we're standing on the foundation of God and his truth. And because we, we have the armor of God on us. Uh, so let's get into what that armor is. He says in verse 14, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Uh, so... Uh, many translations will say the belt of truth buckled around your waist, something along those lines. So he starts out with the belt. Um, why do you think truth is equated to a belt? Um, so I did a little bit of research, and I found this quote about the belt back in Roman military times. And it says, the Roman military belt performs certain fundamental tasks. The first of these is supporting the weapons. So why is the truth the belt? It's because you strap your belt on, and then you hang your breastplate of righteousness on it, you hang your sword of the spirit on it, and all your other gadgets and gizmos, whatever you have, are hanging off of your belt. If you don't have a belt, it all falls apart. In the same way, if you don't base your weapons on the truth of God's word, all your weapons are going to fall apart as well. Um, they need that security of truth in order to hang on them. And so we're going to put on the belt of, belt of truth. And how do we know the truth? Um, we know Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. How do we know that truth? It's all of God's word. Um, so when we get to know Jesus, putting on the belt of truth is literally just putting on Jesus, knowing him. Knowing his truth, we know that by we learn that by studying his word, um, but by getting to know him. So we have to start out with that foundation of truth. Now we can start hanging our weapons on that. So moving on to the next one. Uh, so verse 14, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So the breastplate would be the armor that would cover your chest. It would cover all of your vital organs. If you don't have your breastplate on and you take one arrow to the chest, you're done. 
um, you're going to be um, oh, you're going to be out of the fight. Um, so why is righteousness the breastplate? What is it that keeps us from God? It's our unrighteousness. It's our sin. Um, and so in order to have um, the ability to come before God, we must have righteousness. And if we don't have that righteousness, Satan can destroy us right away. We can't come to God. So then the question is, how do I put on righteousness? Uh, let's go to a couple verses. So let's start in Philippians chapter 3. Just a couple pages over. Starting in verse 8. So Philippians 3, 8, he says, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of knowledge of, of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So the Bible talks about our righteousness being like filthy rags. If I hang filthy rags around my chest to protect my vital organs from arrows and swords, is it going to do any good? Absolutely not. Um, so instead of having my own righteousness, which is from the law, we need righteousness through faith in Christ. Let's also look at, go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians 5, verse 21, he says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So where do we get this righteousness? How do we put it on? We simply put on Jesus' righteousness. We rest in him for his righteousness. It's not my own. Because God made him who, who knew no sin. He made him, um, and Jesus was perfect and righteous, so that he could take my unrighteousness and I could take his righteousness. And that's what protects me, what allows me to come before God. So once again, this is not something I do some great thing to put on. I simply rest in what Christ has done for me already. Uh, so after the breastplate of righteousness, back in Ephesians... And verse 15, he says, And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. What is the gospel? It's simply the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's his story. It's the good news um, that he brought us. Uh, so we should always be ready. Your feet should be ready to go with the gospel, the good news. Um, to, and he says the gospel of peace. It's what it brings peace into our hearts and minds. Um, brings peace into situations when we surrender to the gospel. Um, uh, so we should always be ready with that. And then he says, uh, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So what is faith? It's the assurance, belief, um, reliance upon Christ for salvation, having conviction. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So why is faith equated to a shield. Well, think about righteousness. And we even read in, uh, in Philippians about how righteousness is through faith. Um, let's say um, I become a Christian. I, I've been saved. 
Christ's righteousness has been put on me. But let's say I have no faith in that righteousness. When Satan comes in, shoots his fiery dart at me and says, you know, you're, you're still not cutting it. You're not up to the task. You're not righteous. Um, and that fiery dart comes at us. And if we have no faith in our righteousness, yes, we may be in a position right with God, but can we exercise that position or do we simply fall prey to Satan's deceitful wiles and, um, and we'll, we might start to agree with him and be like, oh, yeah, I can't really pray because I'm not. I sinned today. I can't pray. Um, I'm not right with God. I can't be close to God. I can't come to God. But if we have faith and we say, we, well, first, we know the truth that Christ's righteousness is put on us. And then we have faith saying that we rely on the fact that Christ has made me right with God and that there is nothing that can separate me from that. Um, then I can have faith to block that arrow from Satan to say, no, I, I believe that I am right with God and I'm going to act on that and rely on it no matter what you say, no matter what comes at me. And so faith becomes our shield because we can, we now can rely on that truth. Um, and like I said, all of these kind of go back to putting on Jesus. What do we have faith in? simply the truth that Jesus is who he is. It's putting on Jesus. Um, it's not just knowing who he is, but putting him on us, agreeing with him, um, and relying on him. So after uh, the shield of faith, uh, let me find my spot. Verse 17, he says, take the helmet of salvation. What why is salvation the helmet? Well, think about this. If your head is destroyed, your entire body is dead, no matter how healthy it is. Think about the Spanish Inquisition, the guillotine's victim. It didn't matter if they were in great shape, completely healthy. When that blade came down, the whole body was dead. In the same way, if our um, if we don't have salvation, it doesn't matter how good I am. It doesn't matter how put together I am. It doesn't matter what people think of me. If I don't have salvation, my whole spirit, body, soul is dead. It's worthless. All the good things I might do is worthless. Um, and that, and, and so in order to make anything count, we have to have salvation. Um, so, Let's look at a picture of this salvation. We're going to turn back in Ephesians to chapter 2. I'm going to go ahead and read verses 1 through 7. And he's going to kind of give us where we are before kind of the, the idea of the whole body dead and the whole body now alive. Um, in some ways, salvation, we had just talked about, like, if you destroy the head, then the body's dead. We're going to look at it kind of opposite. The whole body's dead, and then God's going to put the head back on and bring it to life. Um, it says, Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespass and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So he starts out by saying, hey, we were all dead. We were children of wrath. There was nothing good in us. And then we see what God did. 
But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So this is the picture of what that salvation is. It's you were dead. You were under God's wrath. But God. He took you. He loved you. Um, and through his grace, he saved you. He raised you up. He made you sit together in heavenly places with Christ so that he can pour his exceeding riches on you. It's a place from being under God's wrath to God's love and grace. Um, so there's this huge difference between having salvation and not having salvation. So then the question is, how do we get the salvation? Let's look at verses 8 and 9. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So how do we get salvation? Is it what we do? No. And there is faith involved, like we already talked about. But it's a gift of God. It's taking on what Christ did for us, not just knowing that it happened, but fully relying on it. Um, taking it on and throwing ourselves on him um, for that right standing with God. Trusting in his blood to take away our sin and make us right with God. Um, and so if, if you're here today and you haven't made that decision to give, give your life and, uh, to God so that he can set you in those heavenly places. If you've never done that before, most anybody here would love to walk you through that after the service today. Find somebody. Um, tell them, hey, I don't have this salvation in my life and I need it. And anybody here will be happy to walk you through that. So we have to protect our head with salvation so that our whole body can stay alive. Um, let's move on to the next one. Uh, in verse 17, take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So that's pretty easy to decipher. What is the sword of the spirit? The word of God. Um, so this is... Some people will say it's the only offensive weapon. I think it's one of two. Uh, I'll explain that in a second. Um, but if we're going to have a weapon, we want to know its capabilities. Let's turn to Hebrews um, chapter 4. So a little to the right. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. He says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and, to the jo and of joints and marrow, and a, discerner of, and, excuse me, and a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So he says, It's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And then he goes into what it's useful for. Um, it, it distinguishes the thoughts of your heart. Um, so when Satan comes at you um, with some temptation, it's sometimes it's easy to think, well, maybe that's not really Satan. Maybe this is okay. Or maybe you have like an attitude or a motivation. And you want to know, is this attitude or motivation from God? Um, you shouldn't just sit and guess. Use the word of God. If you take that 
thought um, and intent and then compare it to the word of God, it's going to become clear whether or not that's from God or if it's from your flesh or from Satan. Um, and so that's one of our weapons is the word of God to know, are, are these darts coming after me at me? Are they conviction from God or are they condemnation from Satan? Take it to the word of God and see. Um, it will discern that for you. Let's also look at um, at Second Timothy chapter 3. Uh, so 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, we're going to get a, another clue of the capabilities of our weapon. It says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be completely complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what is our, our weapon? First of all, we need to know that it's given by inspiration of God. Um, and then we have to hang it on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness to know that it's true um, or the shield, take the shield of faith to believe that it's true, and then it will um, be profitable. It will teach us doctrine. It will correct us and reprove us when we're wrong. Um, it will instruct us in righteousness. It will teach us about the breastplate of righteousness. Um, so it's got all these capabilities. Now, question is, how do we use it? We need to um, be trained on how to use our weapons. Um, we won't turn there, but in Matthew 4, um, Jesus gives us a really good example of how to use it. Um, this is where Jesus goes out into the wilderness and he's tempted by Satan. And what does he do when Satan comes at him and says, hey, eat this bread you shouldn't eat? He says, man, quote scripture, man shall not live by bread alone. And Satan says, hey, jump off this temple so that you can be unglorified. God will save you, don't worry. And, and Jesus quotes scripture again and says, um, uh, you shall not test the Lord your God. And when he says, bow down before me and hey, this whole world will be yours. Jesus, again, quotes scripture and says, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And so he gives us a great example. How do we use the sword of the spirit when Satan comes at us with um, whatever it may be? Find scripture, quote it back to him. Um, say, this is the truth of God that I am um, standing by faith in. Uh, but then the question is, how, how do you get it? Like, you can't quote scripture without scripture being in your heart and in your mind. Um, so in order, um, in Psalm 119, he says, your word have you, have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So how do we, how do we get the sword of the spirit so that we can use it is we have to, we have to study it and we have to know it. And in the book of John, um, John refers to Jesus as the word, um, so what is it? We're getting to know the word of God. We're immersing ourselves in the word, which is really immersing ourselves in Jesus, in God. And we're taking everything we know about him and putting him into our heart and into our mind so that when Satan comes after us, we can confront him back with the truth. Um, so then the last thing he says in verse 18, he says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end, 
with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So I kind of think that's another offensive weapon. A sword is for close quarters combat. Prayer is kind of like calling in an airstrike. Um, and with that, we can, we can lift up our brothers and sisters in their battles all across the world. Um, we're not limited to who's right in front of us. Um, the other thing about prayer, without prayer, we're like a soldier who's completely um, out of touch with his command. Um, if you think about a soldier out in the field, if they don't know what's going on around them, if they don't know where their commander is and what they're supposed to be doing, they don't know if they need to stand still. They don't know if they need to advance. They don't know if they need to attack. They don't know if they need to retreat. Um, and prayer is our direct line to God. It's our direct line to headquarters. Um, it's where we can get our commands. It's where we can um, know what it is. And a soldier on his own in the battlefield out of communication also isn't going to be very effective being us to use the army slogan, an army of one of literally only being one. You're not going to be as effective. That's not the way it's supposed to be. We're not supposed to be alone through prayer. And then also fellowship with other believers. Um, we're, we're uniting ourselves with God and we're no longer alone. Um, and so we don't have to be that, soldier that's out in the middle of nowhere by himself, nowhere, not knowing what to do. We can know what our orders are. We can be in prayer, talking to God. Um, and that again is attaching yourself to Jesus just through prayer. Um, and like he says, we're not supposed to just pray for ourselves, pray for our brothers and sisters. We're not to be alone. It's not to be just me. It's all of us together, praying for each other, lifting each other up, being with each other on the battlefield. So to summarize, what is the armor of God? In many ways, it's just taking Jesus and resting in him, in his truth, in his righteousness, having faith in him, connecting yourself to him, um, having his gospel. Um, and it's not so much about what we work hard to do. It's about resting in what he's already done. Let's pray. God, I thank you um, that you are good. Um, I thank you that uh, that it's not about what I've done, but what about you? But about what you have done. Um, I pray that we could go out of here clothed with your whole armor, not just part of it, but the whole thing, God. Um, so we give you the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.